Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. As you can see from the front of the program, our theme uh, for the series that we have is post-nuclear families navigating the fallout. And what we realize is that in relationships, things happen, bombs go off that affect us, and, and, and after they go off, we have to live sometimes in the mess of the things that have happened. And the good news is that God helps us not only navigate through the fallout, but he also gives us strength uh, not only to survive it, but to thrive through it. And today we're going to address a specific uh, lie, misconception in a marriage, and that is the fact that uh, many people feel like you owe me, that they look at their relationships and, and look at those around them and, and they feel that others owe them in some way. And we're going to look at that today. Now, as, as we consider that, I want you to think right now in your life of a time when you have been wronged, a, a time when you have been maybe hurt or, or treated unfairly, where, where you look back at it and you just say, that is not fair. Uh, there w- maybe there was some type of injustice or maybe even a, a, a way to figure this out is to say, is there someone you're mad at right now? And if you're mad at them, the reason why you're mad at them uh, is the injustice. That's the hurt. That's the pain. And, and as you think about that, I, I think all of us would probably say that we've been hurt or injured in some way. And what makes me think that way, first of all, is this. I, I went and, and as I was thinking about being wronged and injustice, it made me think of the court system. And so I went online and I did a Google search and I ended up at the Bureau of Justice Statistics. And, and the question that I asked, I went in the search, I asked, how many new lawsuits are filed every year? How many new court cases, just on the state level, in all 50 states, how many new court cases are there every year? You know how many there are in the United States just on the, on the state level every year? 102 million. I want you to think about that. 102 million court filings or, or uh, court proceedings, new ones every year. Now remember that, that, that in the United States there are over 300 million people. So that means one out of every three people. If not more than that, because some of these, it might be two people on different sides. But, it, but at least one out of every three people believes that they were wronged or their rights were violated or the law was broken in some way that they need to be taken before a court in order to solve what is going on, that, that they were that moved, that, that something needed to be done. And when I think about that, that's just, that's amazing. But then I also started to think a little bit about this concept of being wronged. And it took me back uh, to my days of being a sports official. I was, I'm a referee. And I, as I was thinking about this, I've been a soccer official for 27 years. 
Uh, it's crazy when I thought about that. I was certified uh, in soccer, in basketball, and fast-pitch softball. Those were, were my certifications. And the reason why I wanted to become an official was because the officials I watched were so bad that I said, there's no way I can do worse than these guys. And then I proved myself wrong uh, by going and do a, doing officiating that wasn't that great all the time. But, but I remember specifically, when, when you look at this, it, as an official, you can't win. Because I would say probably, maybe in 10% of the situations where you call a foul, the, the person will say, yeah, I got him. And then the other 90%, half of the gym is upset with you, and the other half, you know, thinks it's a great call. And so there's this yelling back and forth. And, and, and so my favorite to do was soccer, because uh, as, as a soccer official, I was on a soccer crew, a three-man crew. Uh, you're out on the soccer field. You're not, you're like, confined in a gym with people right on top of you. And especially if you're a linesman, I mean, you got your flag. They don't even give you a whistle. So, so you're just pretty much watching for out of bounds, you know, raising the flag up. And, and the only thing you really need to understand is the offside rule. And, and so you're watching and you lift your flag when it's offside. So I was on a, on a crew where we would rotate. And so sometimes I would do the middle, sometimes the side. But we had a very good crew. And we kept getting better and better games until we were given the conference championship of the highest division uh, in the area where I lived. So this was a pretty big game uh, for the championship. And I'm doing the side and uh, the game, you know, very tight game, very hotly contested game. And one team was going with the ball. I was in the position and that team scored and the individual was off sides. And, and the way that it works is that, again, I don't have a whistle. So, so what happens is when, when there's an offsides on a goal scored, I just stand in a position and I hold up my flag and I wait for the center official to see me. And then that's when he blows the whistle and a clarification is made on a call. The problem is he didn't see me for about 15 seconds, which means everyone's cheering, everyone's running around, you know, kids slide and doing whatever they do to celebrate their goal. And then he sees me as I have my flag and, and he comes over and I said, definitely, he, he was offsides. In an offside position, received the ball, no goal. And that's when, excuse the expression, all hell broke loose. And uh, that is when the uh, police officers were called. And I was, uh, had someone behind me the rest of the game, uh, making sure that things weren't being thrown at me. And... Uh, and, and, and so the game, that team ended up losing by one. It was my fault. Uh, they were wronged, all, all of that. And, and on the way home, it, it really bothered me. I mean, I just, things like that, I, because I wanted to be an official, because I wanted to do well, and I cared. And, and the official I was with had been an official for a long time. And he said to me, Dan, you were in the proper position. Uh, you made the right call. And you need to remember, you're the only one on that field who's not emotionally involved in the game. I mean, that's what you're there to do. That is your focus. And everyone else is so emotionally involved that it clouds their judgment. 
And, and so the way that they respond is to take it out on you rather than to look at themselves and, and maybe what they've done wrong. And as I thought about that, as I thought about these court cases where individuals feel wronged, as I think about uh, sports, if you've ever watched sports and feel like the, the referees have been unjust to you and unfair and, and you're wrong and they owe us a call, it made me think of my role as a pastor. And the reason why is because many people in my ministry have called me to come and talk to them, maybe for a marriage situation, maybe for a family situation. And you know what they want me to be? A referee. And, and, and they want me to say, this is the one who was wrong, this is the one who was right, and this should be the penalty, let's go on from there. But you know what? I'm not a referee. And that's not what Crosswalk has called me to be, and that's not what God has called me to be. Instead, he's called me to be a pastor. And as a pastor, what I do is I, I share God's word, that I take people back to what, what God says and, and share that with them. The problem is, is that usually when we're in the height of emotion, that's not what we want. We want others to see the injustice that I am feeling. To, uh, we want punishment. And because we feel like, we are owed something, and we see the pastor or, or someone who's in a position of authority to get us what we want, what we deserve, and, and again, what is owed to us. If you have ever felt that way, or, or if you're feeling that way right now, that, that in a situation where you are just, you're, you're getting treated unfairly in so many different ways, please listen this morning. Please listen to the words of our Lord and the encouragement that he gives. Uh, because the point isn't that you aren't owed something or, or that someone hasn't hurt you. But God still has a message and encouragement for us in that situation. So let's start. And, and we'll start in Proverbs 22, verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And, and so as we look at this, the idea of IOU, this is talking specifically about money and, and cash. And so this is your encouragement. Uh, just so you know, Financial Peace University is not starting tonight, but, but we would still like to have a Financial Peace University. Uh, this is a passage that's used in that. And, and what it shows is that when money is involved and one person owes another, you get this kind of slave-master relationship. Now, you might think that's a little bit of an overstatement, but I'm guessing that, that if you're in a position where you have been in debt before or are right now, uh, I know what that's like. It's sitting down with a checkbook at the beginning of the month when I'm paid, and I don't even have to make a decision on what I'm going to spend my money on first because that decision's been made for me already by Visa, Discover Card, uh, Wells Fargo, whatever, all the places I had loan and debt. 
And, and, and they don't call and ask me, do you want to make your house payment today? Do you want to make your car payment today? Do you want to make a, a payment on your visa today? No, you get this in the mail along with other people you owe and they say, we want our money now. And then they remind you if you're 30 days overdue, 60 days, 90 days, 120, 120 days overdue. And then they start sending you nasty letters. Then they threaten collection. So my point in this is that, do you understand that this is true? That the borrower is slave to the lender. That the second you accept that money from someone or accept something from them, you're put in a position where you owe them, right? Well, we understand that hopefully with money. And again, if you go to Financial Peace University, uh, the encouragement is that you will get out of that slave relationship and they will show you how. But as we look at this, it's also true in relationships in our life. And what happens is we are in situations where others need stuff from us and we give it to them and then they owe us. So an example like of that would be uh, maybe where you work. That, that somebody needs off this Friday night because it's something that they want to do. And they say, will you take that shift for me? And you're like, well, I don't know. It is Friday night, and I had some plans. If you take this Friday night shift for me, I will take any shift you want me to take. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, they owe you. And, and so, as you look at that, when you're looking at Christmas Day, when you're scheduled to work, and, and they're not, you say, you know what? This is the day I want. And they're in a situation where you're the, you're the one in charge. You're the one in the driver's seat because they, they owe you. Think about this in, in other ways, maybe where you do this, where, where you help someone out, where you, you give them something you need. This can happen in a family. This can happen with a spouse. This can happen with kids. Uh, just about any time when you are willing to do something nice for someone to help them out of a tough spot, they owe you. So, uh, in the blank, you can write, when someone owes me, I become his or her master. When someone owes me, I become his or her master. That's awesome. That is an awesome situation to be in. Uh, Remember when I did this for you? Okay. Uh, It's great because you can keep bringing it up again and again. And, and what I would call this, I want you to think of having a relationship piggy bank, okay? So I have this little relationship piggy bank, and these would be deposits. These would be times where I'm putting things in. But we go to the next one. So, so the next one isn't about deposits. Really, the next one is about withdrawals. And it says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Now, in this one, it's not talking about money. Really, this is Jesus talking about forgiveness. And, and in this situation, what, what has happened is someone has done something to you that, that they have hurt you in some way. And now, because they have hurt you, that's also put you in a master relationship. And, and so they have hurt you in some way. They have done something to you. And now is, is going to be your opportunity to get it back. And as I said, this is a withdrawal. 
And so, again, I, I want you to think about this. Your emotional piggy bank, your relationship piggy bank. There are times when you put things in and you remember this. And there are times when you take money out when others hurt you. Okay? And, and so you have this with, with each person. As you look at different people in your life, you can ask yourself the question, do these people owe me or do I owe them? Now, as you're thinking about that, I also want you to think about your, your monthly bank statement that you get, uh, maybe for a savings account or for a checking account. Uh, I think we have a picture of one might look like, yeah, it probably looks something like this where you have your credits and your debits, okay, your deposits, withdrawals. Is there anyone like me who ever gets that back and says, boy, I thought I had more money in that account, I, I, I thought I did these deposits. And then you look at, ooh, I forgot about that withdrawal. Ooh, I forgot about that one. And, and so what happens is when you keep track of it in your head, what, what tends to happen with all of us is, is we, we tend to remember all the deposits we make, but we fail to remember the withdrawals, the times when we, we hurt others. And so this is what it looks like in a relationship. Let's go to uh, what it can look like in a relationship with a, a parent and a child. So I don't know if you have ever been in a situation with one of your kids or, or, or someone who's a child here. Why my parents owe me? Okay. Uh, I've been in this, this discussion with my children before, right? Where, Dad, you guys owe me so much. And so why do we owe them? I cleaned my room. Oh, congratulations. You cleaned your room, and now I owe you. Okay. The next one, I did the dishes. Well done. Uh, Mom made supper, and you cleaned the dishes. You got dirty. Well done. Uh, The next one, this is the one that gets me, Dad, I'm your child. I'm your baby. And so because I'm your child, you know, you kind of owe me to, to take care of it. The next one. I got good grades at school, which is why you should buy me Starbucks today. And, and so that is, that is the, the, the mind thinking uh, with my kids, uh, that, that when I talk to them, why I owe them things. So those are the deposits, but then I need to remind them of the other side. And that's why, uh, why I owe my kids nothing. And that is also known as the withdrawals. And the first one is, I changed your diapers, and you did not say thank you once. <laughs> and, and as you look at that, it, um, Tanya and I probably were 50-50 diaper changers. So, I mean, that as we look at that, I, I, did, I don't want to say more than both of us did more than our share. But anyways, uh, I changed your diapers. Next one, I buy all the food and clothes. You know what? So when I tell you, ask you to do the laundry for the clothes that you wore and bought, and I bought for you, shut up and do it, okay? Please. Uh, The next one, I own the house. We'll go to the next one. We're going to get back to that because I like to repeat that theme. Uh, And that is, your room is my room. Remember, I'm just letting you use it. Uh, also, I pay for everything. I, see, I, I just love that one. And uh, yeah, this is the best. My rules, my house, my rules, don't like it, move out. <laughs> now, as we look at that, here's the deal. 
so this is what kids understand, and this is why kids move out, and why I don't live with my parents anymore. I'm not arguing it's a good deal, man. I mean, it is. To, to move back in with my folks, have them take care of all those things. But the thing about it is, that puts me in a master-slave relationship with my parents. It just does. And so you're in that situation where kids and young adults get to a point in their life when they say, I don't want to have this conversation, and I don't want to have to say yes to you and your rules all the time, so I'm willing to live like destitute in a beaten down old rental just so I don't have to have this conversation with you. And, and I think if you've ever been in that situation, you get it. Now, here's the deal, is with your, your kids, it, it's easy to have that because it's obvious of what you've done for them. But now, do you ever do this with your spouse? See, this is what happens, is, is, is we have this conversation of why my spouse owes me. Okay, so, so all the things I do for my spouse. And so the first one is, I make more, most, all of the money. And I guarantee you, if you are in a marriage relationship, you know which person brings in how much money. You do. Whether it's because you do taxes every year or you get your W-2 or whatever. And if you are in a situation where you're having this discussion and that is used as leverage to say, this is why I think you should do and what I want you to do, and this is why you owe me. The next one, I clean the house, make the meals. See, that's the way that it goes. You know, and that's usually the response is that I'm doing this, and then you're doing that, and you don't understand what I do. How about if you start paying me to watch your children? How about if you start paying me to make you meals? How about if you... And this is what the cost would be. And you know what? You're in debt right now. Because you don't make enough to, to pay for all the stuff I do. The next one, I'm going to tell you, I have never used this in my marriage on my wife, ever. I gave birth to your children. There's like no response to that. All right, you got me there. What do you want me to do, honey? Uh, the next one, I helped you with... See, here's the deal. Every year, and actually three times a year, I need the growth group brochure. I have absolutely no ability in Word or publisher or computer to make anything like this. So do you know who made this growth group brochure? My wife, Tanya, did. And not only that, but the night... The growth group leaders don't always get the information to me as quickly as I would like. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but, but I think I just did. Uh, so anyways, they usually need to be done on a Thursday night at 10 o'clock. That's like as late as we can get them. So here we are. And, and to Tanya's credit, she has never said, after getting that done, you owe me. She says, you owe me big time. That's what she says. And so, so then what happens is this past week at Arizona Lutheran Academy, they had a huge ribbon-cutting ceremony for their new football field. Uh, the uh, Cardinals were there. The mascot was there. There were thousands of people there. 
And, and since she uh, works in, in the athletic department, needed to get help with tickets and everything like that. So who went and uh, helped with tickets? Me. And so what did I say to her? Did I say, Tanya, you owe me? No. I said, Tanya, you owe me big time. So that's what we do. And, and so go, we go back and forth. Uh, and then the last one, I guess, I, can put, I put up with your family. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, so again, we, we look at this. And, and what this becomes is this vicious cycle for who has it worse, who's doing more. And, and, it, and it is a cycle because that as you look at, there's no way to, to do this. And so this is what God tells us to do instead, to maybe jump off of that merry-go-round. And this is what he said. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so in the blank, you can write, when I say you owe me, I am only looking at a small part of my account. A small part of my account. I want you to think about that if you have a, a, checking, account, a checking account in which your deposits are made. I'm paid, and Tanya's paid, two times a month. So we're paid on the 1st and on the 15th. And if I only took that page of my bank statement, I'd be like, holy cow, man, we got tons of money. But if you take the other days, you would realize, oh my gosh, look at all of, all of the withdrawals that have come out. And that's what we like to do. That's what my kids like to do is they like to take Saturday morning when we're making them do all the things around the house and say, look at what I'm doing. That's what I like to do when I take Friday night when I'm helping my wife at ALA. Look what I'm doing. But Jesus is saying, you know what? If you think the full, the full account is with yours your page and your wife's page, even then you don't have a full view of the account because there's a third party with our accounts. And that third party is God. Notice what he says, in view of God's mercy. And so that takes the final part of this as we look at the deposits we made, God's mercy to me, the, the, the deposits that God makes into my account. And so what does he do? My father made me. And we're going to look at this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God made me. He made you. Next one, the Father has given me all that I have. The first, we call this the first article of the Apostles' Creed, that God created the world. He preserves the world. He gives me all that I need for my body and life, my intellect, my ability to work, all of that. And as if that weren't enough, he gives Jesus, that Jesus came to give his life This was a deposit that God made of his love, coming and making the payment for your sin to restore the relationship that we have with God. It continues with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has brought me to faith so that I know who my Savior is, that I enjoy the blessings that he gives. And finally, he has given me brothers and sisters in Christ. All of these are deposits that every single person in this room, God has made into your account. And, and when we live our lives, God says, you know what you need to do? You need to draw on that account and stop having these arguments about how much you've put in. Because compared to what he's put in, it is nothing. And at times when others owe you, God says, draw on my account. The next one, Romans thirteen seven and 8, also points to the same truth. It says, give to everyone what you owe them. 
If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And this is my favorite part. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The continuing debt to love one another doesn't come because of what they've done for me. The continuing debt to love one another comes because of what God has done for me. And for that reason, I can put the check register away. I can put away why I think I deserve so many things from those people or maybe even of what I deserve to them and say the way that I'm going to act is in love towards my God and to them. So in the blank, you can write, we all owe a debt of love and thanks for all that Christ has done for us. Love and thanks for all that Christ has done for us. For goodness sakes, people at Crosswalk this morning, do you not understand you are the richest people on this earth because of what Christ has deposited into your account? And so stop acting like poor people who need to go uh, shake other people down to get what you're owed because you do not need to do that. What else have we been brought into? This is the book of Philemon, which I'm going to explain in just a moment. But Paul, writing to a person named Philemon, says... I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because your brother, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. I'll just share this right now. The Philemon Paul. See, this is the deal that, that Paul understood. Philemon, just so you know, Philemon was wealthy. Okay? And... Uh, and, and Paul was poor. I mean, that, that there were times when he enjoyed riches and, and stuff, but basically he was poor, that Paul's life was about sharing the gospel. And so you get in this situation where, where Philemon, oh, if you were to ask Philemon, what's your relationship with Paul? Does Paul owe you or do you owe Paul? Philemon would say, I owe Paul everything because he introduced me to Jesus. If it wasn't for Paul, I would be going to hell. And how could I repay him for how could I repay him for, for sharing Christ with me? But if you talk to Paul and about his relationship with Philemon, Paul would say, I shared Christ. I just gave him a gift that God has given me. And what Philemon has done is when I've been in jail or on my missionary trips, Philemon will send a care package. That he'll send a person to come for a couple weeks with, with food and, and things that I need. And he helps me physically kind of remove some of the load. I, I love Philemon. I owe him so much for what he's done for me. And so you have this, this mutual admiration society of Philemon and Paul. And why they both are so thankful. Because they're partners in ministry. Giving thanks to God for what he has done. And using what God has given them to serve God. And he wants us to act the same way. The next page. This is the the whole idea. Now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Another way to say that is God has given you gifts. a, A manifestation of the spirit. A way that God shows himself so you can help others. And so in the blank you can write God's people have been called into a partnership. With the gifts I have, I am to serve God and others. 
With the gifts I have, I am to serve God and others. You're called into a partnership. And and when people are in a partnership, it's usually because they're working together for a common goal. You have been called into a partnership with Crosswalk Kids. When we have baptisms here, one of the questions that is asked is, are you willing to do whatever you are able to help this person remain a child of God until death? If you are willing to, to help in that way, say yes, and I ask God to help me. And everyone answers yes, and we ask God to help us. But now we're in a partnership. And so the partnership with Crosswalk Kids is that uh, there are people there that serve by setting up, by teaching, by taking down. Uh, we support them by giving of our time, our talents, our treasures, by serving. And, and we're in a partnership. And, and what are we trying to accomplish? That we hug our kids in heaven. That's it. I mean, that, that we bring them to Jesus. You're in a partnership. Uh, in growth groups, when people gather together to connect to Christ and to other Christians, we have a common bond and a common goal of what we do. In Beyond Borders right now, we have a partnership, and the partnership is to take Crosswalk from, from Levine and South Phoenix uh, through all of the area and throughout the world. That's the partnership we have, this partnership in sharing Christ. And so whatever gifts we bring to the table, whatever God has deposited in my individual account in the way of gifts, I'm going to bring to the table with a partnership with you to serve Christ. That's what he is saying, and that's what God has called every one of us to do. Now, specifically, we're going to go to the book of Philemon and see a way that this happened. Philemon's only one chapter. And it's only, I think it's 23 verses. And what Philemon was, the book of Philemon is a letter written by Paul to Philemon because Paul had been there, shared Christ with him. Philemon's a believer. Paul kept going around the world sharing Christ, but ended up in jail in Rome. Then what happened is Philemon had a servant in his household, a slave. Most likely he had become a servant because he had a debt that he could not pay. And very often what people would do is they would sell themselves into this servitude or being a slave for a number of years or whatever it was until their debt was paid off. Onesimus was the the servant's name. And Onesimus did that for Philemon and then got sick of doing it and stole Philemon's money and ran away. And the place where he ended up going was Rome, And the person that he ended up running into was Paul. And it was there that Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus. Then what Paul did is as as they had a conversation about their lives, and, and I'm sure Philemon felt wronged and hurt and that people owed him, Philemon owed him, that life wasn't fair. That Paul shared, you know what, I'm here because I'm a servant too. But I'm a servant of Christ. And, and my God has made these deposits into my account. I've been given so much in Christ that I'm thankful, uh, even no matter where I am in my life, to serve my God. And so what, what ended up happening is Onesimus became a Christian. And then Paul said, Onesimus, <coughs> excuse me, you have to go back. You have stolen 
you have run away from someone you have made an obligation to, and you need to go back to Philemon. And when he went back to Philemon, Paul wrote a letter, gave it to Onesimus, and said, give this to Philemon when you get there, and let him read it. And this is what part of the letter said, Philemon 8 to 11. And he's writing this as Paul is writing this to Philemon. He says, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and ordered you to do what you ought. So Paul is saying, Philemon, I could tell you, you know what? Onesimus is here and this is what you have to do. I'm not going to do that. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both, both to you and to me. See, this is a little play on words because the word Onesimus means useful. And, and so Onesimus was a very good servant, very useful uh, for many, many ways that he served Philemon. But he wasn't a, a believer, and, and that was always an issue. And, and Paul is reminding Philemon, do you remember what this partnership we're in is for? It's not for you making money. It's not for me being comfortable in Rome. The partnership we have is to share Christ and, and have others come to know him as their savior. And now Onesimus has come to know Christ as his Savior. And now in the truest sense of the word, he is useful because he's not your servant or my helper, but he's God's servant. In the blanks, you can write, Philemon was the master. Philemon was the master. Onesimus was a slave who ran away after stealing. And Paul was asking for mercy for Onesimus. Philemon was the master. And Paul is telling him, I know he owes you, but let me pay what he owes you. Look into the other account, the account where God has made a deposit. And this is the way that he says it in Philemon 17 to 21. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. See, Paul had this relationship with Philemon and he knew Philemon's heart. And it's not a relationship that I have with necessarily everyone in this room at this time. But, but I have a relationship with some of you this way. And, and I pray that, that you have this relationship with other Christians as well. There, there are so many people that I owe so much. And now I'm, I'm talking in terms of people who have welcomed me as the pastor of Crosswalk, who have, who have taken care of me, who have loved my family. And, 
And I look at that, people in my growth group, people who have helped me, people who when you're in a town where you don't know anyone and something happens that you can call and you can ask for help. And there are so many people here like that. And, and honestly, I, I don't think you're keeping track. I don't think you have a ledger where you're saying, man, pastor owed me because I did this and this. And then in return, I get the privilege of sharing Christ with you. That, that I'm able to remind you of, of heaven that's in your future, that the Savior you have today, and, and the true partnership we have in the gospel. And so what happens is you have this joy of being able to throw away the piggy bank, throw away the ledger account, and, and live in the light of what Christ has done for you. It is such a wonderful place to live as a brother or sister in Christ. It's a wonderful place to live in a marriage It's a wonderful place to live in your relationship with your children, in your relationship with your friends, in relationship with people in your growth group. And it is what God wants for every single one of us. So write down the final fill-ins. God wants us to make deposits into relationship accounts. Make deposits by, by showing acts of love to one another. And he wants us to use our funds to strengthen relationships. That's what Christ has done for us. Just like Paul put himself between Onesimus and Philemon, Jesus has put himself between us and God with sin and has taken taken away that sin. He's thrown away the ledger book and says, now live a life of love and thanks for what Christ, for what he has done for you. And I leave you with the final verse, Romans 13 verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for all the deposits you have made into our account. And we looked at some of them as the Father that that you created us and you preserve us, the Son that you took away our sins, that you went to the cross, that you rose, uh, that you sit at the right hand of the Father and you rule the, the, the world on our behalf today. The Holy Spirit who comes and works in our hearts and works in our lives and makes us holy and joins us with other Christians uh, here at Crosswalk and throughout the world. Lord, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, in response to your love to continue to make these deposits, uh, to, to continue to live in love in the same way that you lived in love for us. Help us to live in this joy, Lord, because it is the only way for Christians to live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. This week, as I was going through the message, I, I realized that I spend a lot of time on the sheets of my account where I made deposits and I, I just like looking at those and it's time to, to look at the whole picture, tear those up and, and to live in the joy of the, of the partnership of the gospel. And so for everyone here this morning, I invite you that there's three areas probably biggest where we partner and that is in worship, which we've already done this morning on ministry teams uh, with, with work that's done uh, all week long and in growth groups. 
and, and to enjoy the partnership that we have in the gospel in those three ways and, and to ask yourself the question, how can I be involved and, and to enjoy this partnership uh, to, the, to the nth degree, to the greatest of my ability. So as you consider that and as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you on the patio.